Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. My first instinct as a mother is to protect my children. After that comes considerations on how to raise them to be good and independent human beings. But somewhere along the line, I, along with many other parents, have become risk-averse, which is directly reducing their ability to be both good and independent human beings. Kids today are less resilient than previous generations because they're not given the chance to fail. Daisy Turnbull is a high school teacher, mum of two, and author of 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids. Hi, Daisy. How are you? Very well. How are you? Good, thank you. Do you think it's natural to feel protective of our kids? And if it is natural, when does that tip into being too protective? Oh, absolutely. I think it makes total sense to want to be protective of our kids and want to protect them from, you know, that first day. And I think that those first few months where they can't um, move and they're totally dependent on you and they can't crawl or anything, it's all on you. But I think that the problem is becoming that as they're starting to move away from us physically and, and, and able to walk, we're not changing our approach to looking after them. How do you think we got this way? I'm assuming that parents in the past uh, allowed their children as they became more independent to become independent. Why do you think we're like this now? Look, there's a lot of research about this. I really like what um, Professor Jonathan Haidt's work about the coddling of the American mind talks about how there was a lot of fear around kidnapping in the early 90s, but then that fear dissipated but the behavior around it continued so that idea of you know you jump forward a few years of kids you know going bike riding up and down the street after school or come home when the lights when the street lights go on that isn't around anymore and I think that there's also uh, parenting has become a competitive exercise and I think also as parents share both you know careers and parenting they they want to be brilliant at both and we have this issue where we're not actually thinking, well, where do we want, you know, where do, where do we want our kids to be when they're 10? What do we want them to be able to do when they're 12? How are we actually getting them there? And for them to be able to get the bus to school when they're 12, make their lunch, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, how do we get them there in the years from 5 to 12? Now, your book is full of really practical suggestions, which we will get to, um, obviously not all of them because there are 50, but um, we'll get to them in a minute. Yes, that's exactly right. They can buy the book and get those 50 suggestions. Um, But I just wanted to ask you about that, um, what you mentioned there in terms of competitive parenting. Do you think it's also about comparative parenting? Mm. Because I don't feel like I need to compete with my peers, but what I often find is that I look at what they're doing and I I feel myself coming up short. Yeah. Do you think that's part of the equation as well? Yeah, and, you know, um, Professor Angela Duckworth, who I absolutely love, has a great podcast episode where she talks about how in life generally, and this is for teens up to adults, the lake of comparison is so much bigger than it used to be. So when you know, we were kids, we were just comparing ourselves to the other kids in our class. And 
as parents, we probably our parents probably would have just gone, oh, you know, oh yeah, that's interesting. She uh, just gives the kids leftovers for dinner the day after or whatever. I I can do that. But now we've got all of the internet, Pinterest parents, Instagram influencer parents, and you do end up kind of looking at what they're doing. And so that lake of comparison has increased. I don't think any parent tries, especially we, we you know we are talking more mothers. I don't think any parent tries to make other parents feel guilty, but I do see a lot of stuff online around stay-at-home mums, working mums, that kind of that that dichotomy around which is better and who is doing a better job. I just think as long as kids are loved, their their parents are doing a good job. If we go back to this idea of risks, you mentioned some of the risks that we're not really taking or letting our kids take now. One of them might be uh, riding their bikes to school because of that fear of stranger danger. What are the other kinds of risks you discovered during this writing this book that we are avoiding apart from that sort of independence of movement? So I think independence of movement is a really big one because that is something that I think we all want teenagers to be able to do, right? Yeah. So that's that's a big one that you can see that arc go. The other big one I see is the risk of social interactions. Parents are stopping kids having the opportunity to deal with awkward social situations by stepping in. And I think of it as, you know, kids and adults have arguments but if you have never had a disagreement with someone and learnt how to do that constructively, you're not going to do it well. I see at school sometimes, you know, you will, parents will email about a student not having done their homework and I think, well, that student could have just come and told me they, they haven't done their homework. They could say, oh, you know, we had, you know, my dad's birthday dinner, I didn't get home till late, I haven't done my homework. And I'd say, that's great, that's fine, do it the next day or whatever. But the parents are stepping in to try and avoid their children having those awkward situations. You have a part of the book that talks about what's happening in a child's brain when they take risks. Why is it important that our kids get into the habit of taking, I guess, like you say, um, considered risks, not dangerous ones, but considered ones? Not risky risks. (laughs) Um, I think we, when kids are doing little risks or even if you think of them as little challenges they're learning that they can do it Mm. and they're learning what they can they can't do so for example I was down at Bondi the other day with some friends and there was a kid that was scooting on the um, promenade you know there are no cars around it's 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 a pedestrian area and this kid's scooting and the mother ran up and said you've gone too far you can't go that far you need to stop now this kid was maybe three and I thought to myself this kid needs to actually learn themselves how far is too far mm. so that they can figure out their own risk profile and turn around and go, oh, my goodness, I can't see mummy or daddy. Where are they? Potentially have a bit of a scream and then mum and dad will kind of come out very quickly. But if you keep stopping your kids from figuring out what their limits are, they won't know to trust their guts when they get older. And you do divide your suggested risks into three categories, physical, social and character. You have definitely touched on the physical and social. How would you define the kind of risks that are involved in that category of character? I think the character risks are all about developing the person and developing the person in 
in a values-based way. I really like the work of Professor Lee Waters on having strength-based parenting, so looking at what their strengths are and building them up. Character risks can be things like there's one in there called have the tantrum. And, you know, I think we often when kids start to get upset, we think, oh, have an ice cream, stop it, ah, how do I stop you screaming? But actually, you know, and, and the, I write there saying I have tantrums all the time when the truth <laughs> doesn't work, you know, like tantrums are part of life. And, and, and actually we need to get kids developing that social-emotional literacy in order to go, actually, I'm really annoyed right now. I can name what I'm feeling. I'm annoyed and I know that this can't change it, but it's okay to sit in that position of being in that state of annoyance for a little while and then get out of it. That kind of touches on what you're trying to encourage parents to do. So you also say that parents have to take risks as well. Mm. To me, that sounds like we need to take the risk of letting them have the meltdown in the shopping centre. What other kind of risks uh, should parents be taking? I think um, trusting our kids more and actually letting them, you know, as they grow up, I, I was thinking about this in relation to, you know, when you have a job, if you have a job and you've got a boss and your job is to, you know, put things in a box and your boss comes along and just starts putting the things in the box, you would get frustrated with that. As your kid starts to develop a skill, like it could be, you know, feeding themselves when they're little or uh, putting on their shoes or taking their clothes off before they get in the bath, it it would be counterintuitive and distrusting for you to just do it for them once you know they can do it. So it's about trusting them to develop those skills and when they level up letting them continue to level up you start with uh, advice for risk taking in the first year which i found fascinating because yep. we are also hyper vigilant in that first year for good reason but also yeah. uh, maybe not tell me about the risks you think new parents need to take for themselves mm. The one I put in, I think it's the second risk, is about adding the baby to your routine, not always the other way around. And I think that's really important because in those first few months, you everything is about the baby, especially you know if you if you're on maternity leave or you know your husband your partner's on parental leave or you're, you're on leave, you're not doing the daycare thing. The whole day becomes about the baby, and and I think that's great, and that's what you know they often talk about the fourth trimester and that kind of thing. But I also think that we can get stuck in that and we don't actually think well what do I like doing so I was talking about in the book when I was doing mother's group there was one mother who would arrive with just the most perfect face of makeup and that was her thing and that is I got to tell you not my thing even now but (laughs) I was so amazed that she could do that and she was like this is what's important to me for me it was walking to get a coffee having the coffee coming back and sometimes I do that with my baby sometimes I do that without him and it was about, it's about going, well, you actually do eventually want to have a family-focused family where you are all doing the stuff you like. And if you keep the focus just on the baby or the kids for their, you know, for, for too long, that's what they expect it to be. Goodness, I think that's what's happening in my family. Um, Daisy, it's always interesting to know, um, you know, I've been doing this 
podcast for many years and there's still so many things. Uh, I'm the most imperfect parent. I'm just wondering what your relationship is like now with risks both for yourself as a parent and the risks that you let your kids take because you have young children as well. Yeah. So what's it like for you um, having written this book and uh, and done all this research? So um, my, young, my eldest is seven, so I'm not yet at 10, but I think I have done every risk. Uh, I think there's one risk that my um, that their father does far better than I do, which is taking them camping. That is not my bag, uh, but <laughs> but, uh, but they're doing the risk. I'm glad um, to see you can outsource some of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, absolutely. I think, look, I got into the resilience and the wellbeing stuff through work. And it was doing positive psychology at St. Catherine's School, which um, where I work today, and and then thinking, well, how do I apply this to my kids? And then also with my kids, thinking, well, this is how do I kind of what I'm doing with them, it has an application at school as well. So I think I've been kind of living it in double time. Mm. I am probably that more relaxed parent at the playground, and I do get looks sometimes, but it's about trusting your kids and knowing what your kids are like. So my son is, he's, he wants to be independent. He wants to go and run errands. He wants to go bike riding up and down the laneway near our house. And, and I want him to do that because I want him to know that I trust him. But I also recognise that maybe my daughter won't be the same. Mm-hmm. So it's about recognising the risks with how your kids are. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting concept, isn't it, that if you saw a seven-year-old child walking down the road on their own today, everyone would stop and look twice, whereas they're old enough to do that depending on where they're going and what they're doing, but they're old enough to be out. We were. Exactly, and I think this is actually what's really interesting because when I started researching the stuff around kids getting to school on their own and running errands and getting the bus on their own, oh, Jack hasn't gotten the bus on his own yet, so we haven't done that one yet. But, he, um, you know, the, the laws, are, the rules are really grey so, you know, there was a parent in Manly who got in trouble for their kid walking or getting the bus. And you don't and there was obviously there's that um there's that, you know, Lenore Skenazy had the issue of her son getting the um subway in New York. You kind of have to trust your kids, but also know what, what the rules are and and often it's not actually that you're gonna be breaking the law, it's just that you're gonna have people looking at you funny. Mm-hmm. So know your kid, trust them and build it up slowly. So for example, some afternoons when I get uh, Jack and Alice from school, Jack is allowed to go to the convenience store to get a lolly and then he walks home a different way. And it's like, you know, he's probably all of a hundred meters away from me, but he that's that's one of the like one of the ways we're building that up. Well, I do like that. And um, as a parent who is quite risk averse, I love this book because you do have very practical suggestions. Like we said before, there are 50 risks to take with your kids. So I'll put the links in the notes of this episode on how you can find a copy yourself and try them out. Daisy, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. That's Daisy Turnbull, author of 50 Risks to Take with Your Kids. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.